Work is no longer just about productivity and metrics. It's about people. And when we focus on positivity, communication, belonging, and development, the numbers take care of themselves. This is Work Human Radio, where we talk to authors, researchers, and business leaders about the latest trends making work more human around the world. Here's your host, Mike Wood. Welcome back to another Work Human Radio. I am your host, Mike Wood. I hope you are all doing well amidst the pandemic. They are starting to open up things here in Massachusetts, and we're starting to be able to get outside and enjoy some good weather, so that definitely helps. On today's episode, Steve Pemberton will be joined by one of my good friends, Lori Rudiman, who has long championed trying to find a way to fix work. She's spoken at many work human conferences, and she's just a wonderful person. So check out Steve checking in with Lori Rudiman, and hope you enjoy it. Hey, everybody. It's Steve Pemberton, Chief Human Resource Officer at WorkHuman. Today, I'm pleased to introduce Laurie Rudiman, who is a longtime friend of WorkHuman, a fellow writer, speaker, and podcaster. And Laurie has been long on a mission to fix work. So I've really been looking forward to talking with her as part of our Keeping WorkHuman series. After starting her career in HR in the mid-90s, only just a couple of days ago, Laurie, uh, now helps executives and HR leaders prioritize the collateral damage of a toxic work environment. We have a lot to talk about. Laurie, how are you? I'm great, Steve. Thank you for commenting on how young I am. I certainly feel young, right? I mean, that's all that matters. But yeah, I have been in the world of human resources since I was in college in 1995. So that's a long time. Yes. We won't say that as the career progresses and we get old. We just say we get seasoned. That's all. Oh, there you go. I'm a veteran. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Well, and I am a longtime friend of WorkHuman. I uh, have been working with you for a very long time and have really enjoyed seeing the company evolve and grow and really hone in on the focus of creating more meaningful work experiences. I mean, that is what this is all about. So I'm happy to be here today. And we are connecting at a time when we, like a lot of others, are adding yet another chapter to our own HR journeys, you know, for sure, which is one of the things that we'll certainly talk about. But first, where are you calling from? I'm in beautiful Raleigh, North Carolina. So we've been in Raleigh for about 12 and a half years and really enjoyed living down here. And, you know, there's a beauty in this part of the country. It's growing quite a bit, one of the fastest growing regions of America. But yeah, we love it down here. Yeah, Carolina is indeed beautiful country for sure. How are you and the family doing? Thank you for asking. We are good. I have a huge extended family, like most people, and they're spread out all over America. And two interesting things, my childhood best friend caught and recovered from COVID-19. So I'm really happy to report that. But you don't really know what this virus is all about until you have someone who's affected by it. And boy, did that open my eyes. And then the second thing is that my family is currently dealing with a cancer diagnosis. My younger brother has colon cancer very healthy, kind of a freak thing. And I just want to say thank you to all the nurses and doctors and cafeteria workers and logistics workers and HR professionals and everybody who's showing up every single day so that my brother can get chemotherapy and can get treatment. It's just been amazing and inspiring. And my family is so grateful. How is he doing, Laurie? He's good. He's almost done with his chemo. And then he'll have 
hopefully just a limited period of radiation and then maybe a surgery, but he's tough. He's a fighter. He's got the right mindset. And we believe in science in my family. Science beats cancer. So he is doubling down on the science and following all the protocols and he's in good hands. Oh, good, good. We're, we're, yeah. we're glad to hear that. Yeah, thank you. Uh, want to switch gears, talk a little bit about this mission that you've been on to fix work. Tell me the origins of, of that. Well, I think like any superhero or villain in this world, they always have an origin story. So I love that word that you use. And my origin story is like anybody else's. It starts with my personal life. My parents were just working class folks and split up when I was young and had to work really hard. And I was lucky enough to be the first person in my family to go to college. And I really saw them have to make sacrifices in their life and put up with, I think, unhealthy work situations for a paycheck. And then I worked in environments that also bred that kind of culture. And after a little while, I thought, no, if you only get one life to live, you have to live it with purpose, with meaning. And it really was incumbent upon me to do what I can to help fix the world of work and to help people marry their purpose, their passion with their skills and their talents. And Steve, you know, work isn't great all of the time, but if it's not great most of the time, everything about your life is impacted. And so it's really my mission to help people work in healthy environments. And then if they're not in healthy environments, to create more positive experiences for themselves because accountability starts with you. And if you can't get what you need from work, you've got to look internally. Sure. So what is not working? And, and I mean that in the context of pre-COVID more than anything else, although there's clearly been some shifts and changes as a result of COVID. But prior to that, if you can remember that world. <laughs> I can. Well, I think it's some of the things that you and your organization focus on, a push towards productivity without recognizing that there's a human being behind the number. I think there's a lot of toxicity in terms of attitudes. There's racism, sexism, ableism, ageism, discrimination against veterans. We make assumptions about people and their stories without actually asking them, who are you? What do you stand for? What do you believe in? I also think we have hierarchical thinking and we think that people who are on the top actually earned their way into those positions. And sometimes that's not true. And I'm all about democratizing work. I'm all about this new movement that we're in to collaborate, to think differently, and to create more of an inclusive environment. But that's an uphill battle. But I don't think it's a Sisyphean battle. I don't feel like we're rolling a rock up a hill. I think it's getting a little bit easier. I think there are more of us than there are the people who think in the old way of work. And organizations like Work Human have really been great at democratizing some of the stories about what companies are doing right to fix the world of work. And so I'm always excited to hear what you see, what's out there, what are the trends with your awesome customers? So what's going on? What do you see about the world of work that's changing either pre-COVID or even now? Well, there's certainly a greater and deeper understanding of where contributions lie within organizations. Just one of the things that we learned as a result of powering the platforms of so many of our customers that focus on rewards and recognition. You get to see who's valued, who's appreciated, who's doing the heavy lifting. And, you know, people generally know, and that was true pre-COVID. I think post-COVID, what you're going to see is a greater emphasis on everyone's role within an organization. Mm -hmm. We see so many of the people, as you pointed out, who are 
helping your brother outside of your right. family. You know, yeah. these are people whose roles we've known about, acknowledged, but perhaps have underestimated how important they actually are. And that's true for, for the nurse and the radiologist, but it's also true for the cashier at the grocery store, the mailman or mailwoman. You know, these people on a lot of the front lines of society who keep us moving and progressing forward. So there's going to be a renewed emphasis on appreciation and gratitude for those who aren't often labeled heroes, but really actually are. And Laurie, I think it's going to be just a societal correction after spending so much time maybe lost in the worlds of idolatry and celebrity. And there's probably no real end to any of that. You know, uh, so world pre-COVID that was, you know, maybe focused more on retweets did you get and likes and all those other things and now it's going to be a deeper appreciation and we are seeing that so in our world we can see that even in the words that are used to recognize people for a job well done that is a reason for optimism and hope I love that. That's so well said. And it makes me think about how we defined essential workers just even eight weeks ago versus how we define essential workers today. And, you know, if you're alive, if you're breathing, if you're on this planet, and if you contribute, even if you struggle to contribute, you're essential. We need you. You're part of our community. And I think COVID gives us an opportunity to recognize the humanness in all of us and to encourage people, if they're not necessarily performing at the levels where they could, to like lean into their gifts, to lean into what they have to give to this world. And, you know, it's not going to be easy and I'm not a Pollyanna, but there's a real opportunity here to recognize the humanness in all of us and to celebrate it. As a result, see in one another some version of ourselves to that going to be, again, a reason for optimism. I want to ask a bit about your new book, Betting on You. And I always love talking to fellow authors because it's, it's a whole... You know, there's a whole world, as you well know, about that. <laughs> that is uh, quite a process. I'm sure like me, you get a lot of questions about how do you get started, how do you write a book, and all those other things. But, you know, tell me what inspired this, and specifically, which publishers love to ask, of course, who's your audience? So mm-hmm. what inspired it, and then who are you writing it for? Yeah. Well, I was inspired to write a book that gave people a sense of accomplishment, a sense of belonging and a sense of purpose when they were done reading it. So betting on you is really all about what you can do to really take control of your career, put yourself first, and ultimately be your own HR, be your own advocate when it doesn't necessarily feel as if you have an advocate within your organization. And in fact, I often tell people that some of the best workers, some of the best people I've ever interacted with really came to work with a sense of professional detachment. They loved what they did. They were totally bought in, but they also had a sense of something greater, something bigger outside the world of work. They had a sense of purpose and they knew who they were internally. So I'm trying to hearken back to that, get people to reconnect to their why and to understand who they are and what they're all about. And in doing that, to be healthy, to come to work and to contribute, there are some key things that you have to do, like prioritize your well-being. Nobody can take care of you like you. 
You need to fix your money and really explore your relationship with compensation. And so I talk a little bit about how and why people are paid, what they're paid, and what you can do to really maximize that. Then finally, I talk a little bit about this idea of attachment and what a job really is. You know, a job can be your whole identity, but just like with your portfolio, just like with your investments, if you put all of your eggs in one basket, it can become a little unhealthy. And some of the best workers have hobbies, they have interests, they have other communities outside of work. And they take the best of everything and mix it in together and it becomes a wonderful blend. And so that's really what my book is trying to accomplish. And I wrote it for the women and the men, but the women primarily who come to me most, which are elder millennial women who are on the rise in terms of leadership positions. They make up some of the largest numbers of hypo employees out there, and many of them feel lost. So if you're between the ages of 32 and 38, and you're wondering, how do I have it all? How do I have work-life balance? Well, maybe you do, and maybe you don't, but hopefully my book will help you think a little bit differently about your journey. But really, it's not exclusively written for women because, you know, my brothers out there, my friends, my cousins, everybody in my community, I think about my own brother who's 40 years old. He could really use this book too. He's trying to manage a cancer diagnosis. He's a teacher out there. He's also a creative writer. I want him to feel like he can do a little bit of everything and still have some balance. So I don't know. I'm really optimistic, but you're right. When people ask you about writing a book, it's not just about writing. It's about marketing. It's about sales. It's about PR. And Steve, you know that journey better than everybody. We read your book as part of my HR book club and uh, it was lovely. It was fantastic. But we know there's an art and a science behind the book. And I'm sure you spent as much time on the science of writing the book as you did the art. Yeah, the writing part to me was the easiest part because it's fairly natural to me. But the science of it was where everything from how you structured it and the messages that you framed and those are different worlds. Writing a book versus marketing book is is very, very different. But we're in an era of storytelling, aren't we? I mean, storytelling is where it's at. So not everybody can write a book, but everybody has a story to tell. So when people ask me about writing a book, I'm like, don't start there. Start with telling little micro stories, whether it's on LinkedIn or whether it's at work, just communicating who you are and what you believe in or using Instagram. Start small, really figure out your message, and then you can expand it. For those aspiring writers who are thinking about writing the book, that's wonderful counsel and advice to begin with the story, even an experience that you had. The one thing that a lot of first-time authors learn is that while they're writing a story, they do not know uh, that they're also writing a chapter of somebody else's journey. And you don't know that until after it's published, after it gets out in the marketplace, and you're all of a sudden cognizant that there's a lot of people who have felt the way that you felt or experienced what you've experienced. And so you are chronicling your journey, whether it's Instagram, LinkedIn, social media, is almost giving them permission to share their own and inspire others, even the most difficult of things. Sometimes we may not want to talk about the difficult things, but oftentimes the pain of our past is a present reality for somebody else who's trying to figure out how to navigate it in your life. And your life, as an example, becomes a reason. Ah, so Laurie got through it. So I can't. That's why you should not ever keep your victories to yourself. Somebody else needs to see them. Oh, so well said. Steve, it sounds like you're uh, writing your next book. Are you working on that right now? 
I am. I am. I am. Yeah, yeah I can tell. I'm working on two, actually. So one, my publisher asked me to write a young adult version of my first book. And so I'm doing that, trying to get through that. A lot of early mornings, the only way I can go about it. The second one, though, and I'll be really honest, since we're friends here, we can talk about this, but I did not anticipate the success of A Chance in the World. I wasn't trying to have it become a bestseller, a movie. It's taught in American high schools. I wasn't trying to do any of that. I'm like a family history. But I can honestly tell you that one of the things, I just get tired of talking about myself, like, and I still am, by the way. It's like, <laughs> you know, in large part, because exactly what you said earlier, it's the people who you meet along the way as a result of writing a book. Like, they're the real fascinating ones, not right. you. Chance of the World was published 12 years ago, and a lot of requests. When are you going to write another one? And I just wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling, because I think, what folks wanted me to do is write a sequel. And I'm like, no, I don't want to talk about me anymore. You know, I want to talk about these other people that I met, but I couldn't figure out a way to do that. And then finally it just hit home for me after hearing story after story of this commonality of story, these universal stories of family and faith overcoming and people who contribute to the world, despite the adversity that they've suffered. So that age old adage that hurt people, hurt people. Well, a lot of people I've met who have been hurt, but they've actually gone on to help people. One of them who lost a child to suicide the month before she was to start college. Their reaction to this was to start a foundation in their daughter's name. Uh, Amazing. Another a young girl at the time, she you know, was sexually molested by a family friend for a period of five years. And we're going to see a lot of these stories. And yet amazingly, because of her mother's impact on her life, she built a life from that. She did not let it define her. And she's set that example. So those are the stories that I'm going to tell this time around. It has me a lot more excited about telling their stories and the lessons they have for us than anything about me. I can't wait to read that. That sounds really fascinating. And it's really on trend with this movement to talk about good news. You know, the world is hard and there are hard things that all of us encounter, but the world is also beautiful and inspiring and the good stories are out there if you can find them. Currently following a traveling nurse on Instagram and he was at the front lines in New York and now he's been reassigned to the Navajo Nation and he does have some harrowing stories about COVID ripping through the Navajo community. Mm. You know, they live in multi-generational households. There's a lot of people infecting people and the federal land that they're on is on top of old uranium mines. And so they have a history of lung disease and cancer. But beyond that, the people are beautiful. The stories are beautiful. The language is beautiful. And he's been really chronicling his time in among the Navajo. And it's just a part of America you might not have normally seen in any other circumstance. Mm. And I get to be inspired and learn about something. And I think if you look for those positive stories, they're out there. And I'm glad you're collecting them and curating them and giving them a voice. So thank you for doing that. Yeah, I'm, that I'm looking forward to. It's in many ways those stories that you described, like the traveling nurse. You know, they're examples of exactly what we need. So for many of us trying to figure out how do you get beyond a partisan world, a politically divided world, and how do we move beyond that? Or even COVID, you know, we could see these back and forth going again, right? And I, the way you get through that is that you understand each other's stories and their experiences. 
And so, you know, the traditional labels, whether you're black or white, gay or straight, Republican or Democrat, they kind of fall away when you begin to realize that there is this commonality of story. And though you and I might be of different genders, different races, different parts of the country, if the most important thing I think I know about you is what is different between us, if that's the most important thing I think I know, then I miss the narrative entirely. And it's a lot more about what is it that we share in common. Like that's the real power. That's the sustaining beauty of life. And certainly you're going through one of those things now. I am. I am. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited for your book and I'm always excited to learn from smart people who've gone through this before. So thanks for your insights and your coaching on this process. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to reading Betting on You as well, because I know how many people actually need that, you know, as well as a career. You know the stories really, really well. And I, I yeah. imagine you're going to hear from a lot of people who will say, you know, how do you go about doing that? Especially because of COVID, that there's this realization of the desire to contribute. Uh, but Absolutely. To better oneself as well. So I'm, we're going to be uh, mutual supporters, I would imagine. So tell me, what's the date? What's the, here's a little bit more. Sure. Well, you know, as we all know, the world is kind of on fire right now in a lot of different ways. We've got a pandemic. We have an upcoming U.S. presidential election. And mm -hmm. so we have decided to publish a book on January 5th, 2021. So that gives us a little bit of time to avoid the world as it's in chaos and to really get people focused on a new year, new them. And that's what I'm excited about. You know, systems may fail us. Political dynasties may crumble, right? Health will come and go, but individual accountability and really investing in your own life can start anytime. But I'm excited to launch it with a new year. I think there will be a renewed focus on what can I do when everything's falling apart or rebuilding, where's my area where I can contribute and how can I make sure my life is lived according to my values? So January 5th, 2021, but it's up on Amazon for pre-sale right now, which is totally weird to me to even say those words. So wish yeah. me luck with that. Yeah. I will be getting it today. <laughs> And, and oh submitting gosh. a review. So if you like Laurie's book, you should submit a review too. That's very, very helpful. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. I appreciate and now, it. Now I'm your chief marketing officer. See that? You're hired, my friend. <laughs> you need another job. That's exactly what you yeah, need. So exactly. come be my, great. Come join the team. <laughs> sure. Well, Laurie, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's great catching up with you. We could go on for quite quite a long, long time. And we'll probably do that, just to have you back and dive a little bit more into HR. And certainly would love to do a, a podcast with you on the book, you know, as Thank well. You. I know how helpful that's going to be. Thank you so much, my friend. If you want to see business leaders, culture keepers, and industry experts come together to share the latest research and ideas for making work more human, you need to be at Work Human Live in 2020, May 11th through the 14th in San Antonio. Visit workhuman.com to see the full lineup of speakers and reserve your spot in the number one conference of 2020.